Who's the most stubborn person you know? Don't look around. Uh, if they're sitting next to you, don't, don't tell. Yeah, uh, a lot of points already. Uh, the most stubborn person you know, don't look at me. Uh, you know, I, we, we got um, the, the most stubborn individual in our home now is our dog, Kobe. Uh, Kobe is extremely stubborn. We got this dog, and, and uh, Tammy and Rick have one of these golden doodles, and we were told that this dog was passive, that if he got in trouble, he would pout and he would mind you. Just, just all he wants to do is please you, is what the lady that sold us the dog told us. And all I can say is, liar. Uh, <laughs> uh, is your dog like that? Does your dog just want to please you or is it stubborn? As it is one of the most stubborn puppies I've ever had. Uh, I mean, he is stubborn, stubborn, stubborn. Uh, it, it's an adventure to watch us go on a walk. Uh, you guys, it'd probably be worth the time just to park out on Trophy and watch me sometimes be dragged by and sometimes drag that dog uh, down the road. And, and he's stubborn about playing with certain things. He likes to chew on shoes. Not too long ago, you know, he gets in trouble for chewing on my shoes. And, and so I found he was sitting on the floor and there was a toy and he was chewing on something. And I looked, he had put my shoe behind the toy so it looked like he was chewing on the toy, but he has shoe on my shoe. Stubborn. And, and, and the truth is, as much as I want to say the dog's stubborn, every once in a while, I've been stubborn too. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, you guys are shocked uh, that, that I admit that in my life, I have a streak of being stubborn from time to time. My, my dad would say this about me. He would say, you could be knocking Paul through the wall, and while you were going, he was going through the wall, he would tell you why you were wrong. <laughs> My dad has a unique ability to see us just as we are and still love us, which is a pretty good thing. Now, some would call that persistence. And when it's good and when it's applied correctly, persistence is a good thing. Uh, when, when I practice law, you wanted me to be persistent to the point of being stubborn as your attorney, right? You want your attorney to be persistent. You want, you, and, and it's okay, even in our lives. I hope that we have a level of persistence among, about, about us. I want my boys to be persistent, to be independent thinkers, to not be swayed easily. I, I hope for you guys, for, for you teenagers, for, for you youths, <laughs> that you would be independent thinkers, that you wouldn't be swayed by the opinion of the crowd, and, and, and you would do what's right regardless of what anyone else was doing, and be persistent about the things before you. Persistence is a good thing. But stubbornness, not so much. Stubbornness is not about doing good. Stubbornness is about my way. It's Elvis and Sinatra singing, I did it my way. Who prefers the Sinatra version? Who prefers the Elvis version? Give me Sinatra every time. It's doing it my way. And if we were honest, all of us are tempted. There's an appeal 
to I did it my way, right? Am I the only one that, that there's an appeal to that in, in our inner core, and, and we've got to be careful. I, one of my favorite scenes of any movie is, anybody ever see Lawrence of Arabia? I think I've talked about this. Lawrence of Arabia, it's Peter O'Toole, and Peter O'Toole is, is an Englishman. He's working with the, 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 the Arabians during World War I, I believe, and, and, and one, of the, one of the guys for, gets left behind in the desert, and, and they realize, and, and they turn to Lawrence and say, well, he's gone. It is written. <laughs> Nothing we can do. And Lawrence goes back and gets him and rescues him. And, and the famous line in the movie is he looks at him and says, nothing is written until I say it's written. <laughs> and, and there's something appealing to that in the right way. I think that's positive. But, but when it's all about my way, then it's negative. See, persistence is pursuing what's right. And stubborn is pursuing my way. And, and it's me on the throne. And the problems that we have in this life, every problem we have in this life is because someone has said, I need to be on the throne and not God. That, that many of the problems you have in your personal life are a result of you saying, I have to be on the throne. It has to be about my way and what I want. And, and so we have relationship problems. We have financial problems. Uh, we have health problems. <laughs> and folks, we have spiritual problems because we insist on our way instead of God's way. Now, now, that's been the problem from the beginning. You, you realize that, right? The problem from the beginning has been humankind's unwillingness to allow God to be king, to allow God to sit on the throne of their life. And, and we see this in, in the story of the fall in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in that day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. What's the issue here? The issue is not a piece of fruit. The issue is not what kind of fruit this is. And we should all avoid apples or oranges or pears or whatever. It's not about the fruit. The problem for Adam and Eve, the problem for you and I, the problem for humankind is who will sit on the throne of our life. And Adam and Eve in this simple decision, removed God from the throne. And no longer was God calling the shots, but Adam and Eve, humanity, would call the shots. And in this story, we see the nature of all temptation. 
whenever you're tempted, in every temptation, there is this temptation to do it our way as opposed to God's way. To serve ourselves instead of to serve the one true God. God talks about that in, in Psalms 81. God says through the psalmist, but my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. <laughs> Did you see it? God gave them over to this stubborn spirit. The message writer says it like this, but my people didn't listen. Israel paid no attention. So I let go of the reins and told them, run, do it your own way. Much of the problem, all of the problems we see in our world is a result of us taking the reins from God and just doing what we want. Look back, just, just consider for a moment issues in your life. How many of those issues are directly related to a decision where you just had to have your way? How many relationship issues? How many financial issues? How many times have you found yourself far from God simply because you had to do it your way? I don't know about you folks, but when I look back at my life, there's been instances where my way has been my problem. <laughs> Temptation is the urge to remove God from the throne of my life. All of temptation is sourced when this ideal that, that it's not God who is sovereign, but it's me that's sovereign, and what I want is all that matters, and what God wants is not what matters. And, and temptation is this urge to take God from the throne and put myself on the throne instead. Now, now understand, temptation is not sin. To be tempted is not to sin. In this little narrative that we read of Adam and Eve, for, for the serpent to tempt them did not mean that they sinned. Sin came in listening to the temptation. See, everyone is tempted. If you've ever been tempted today, lift your hand. All right, all right. The few that didn't, we're going to have to work on lifting hands and what that means. Uh, everyone in this room has been tempted. I, I believe everyone in this room is probably going to be tempted in some way today. <laughs> I, I think temptation in our sin-polluted world, I think it's very difficult to work, to interact with people, <laughs> and, and maybe that's the way to put it. I'm tempted less when I'm around less people than I am when I'm with people. Anybody else say amen to that? You folks tempt me every once in a while. You know, you do. In a good way, in a bad way. Man, I'm talking too much. I better stop. I'm tempted just to keep running with this thought, but I won't, okay? Everyone is tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. And we read this account in Matthew 4, uh, we read verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit uh, 
in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is an unbelievable passage. Jesus has just been baptized. Jesus is coming off this spiritual high. Jesus is at one of those you know, moments in church where you're going, woo! If you ever went, woo, in church, Jesus is at one of those moments. You know, he's been, he's been baptized and the Spirit has descended like a dove. And God has spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. I can't think of a higher spiritual moment than this. And after this high spiritual moment, he's led by the Spirit into this time of temptation by the devil. Now, Jesus is perfect. He's not sinned. He's not succumbed to temptation at any point in his life. He is righteous. He is the perfect God-man. And yet he faced temptation. And I don't believe this is the only time Jesus faced temptation. Well, we see it often in the scriptures. P- Peter comes to Jesus and, and he, he's telling him, oh no, you can't be crucified. Uh, you know, that's not the way it's going to be. You know, we're not going to allow you to be crucified. And what's Jesus say? He says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I think that was a moment of temptation. To, to listen to a friend that maybe this didn't have to occur in this way. And I could, hear, I could hear the devil whisper in his ear, you know, really, you've got this all wrong. You need to listen to your friend here. You, you've got this wrong. This isn't about the cross. This is about what a great leader you are. And, and, and can you hear the temptation? And Jesus says, no. <laughs> I think we see images of it throughout Scripture where Jesus is tempted. I think you see it in the Garden of of Gethsemane. I think in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is wrestling with the decision to go to the cross, I think he's being tempted to to let go of God's plan. And, And he's praying, he's wrestling with this temptation not to follow through. Jesus was tempted. And Jesus was the perfect God-man. If Jesus is tempted, why in the world do we think we'll get to a point of not being tempted? See, temptation is not sin. But succumbing to temptation is sin. By by saying yes to temptation, we're saying yes to self. And we're living for self. And we place ourselves on the throne. And that is sin. Now, oftentimes we get into these debates of why am I being tempted? Um, You know, I I think it's important in our life that we ask better questions. (laughs) Better questions lead to better answers, okay? And oftentimes we get caught up in this why. Why am I being tempted here? Or why is this happening? Or or why do I feel this? And I think the better question is not why, but how. 
how can I use temptation to draw closer to God? See, I believe it's possible that even in our temptations to get to a point where we're drawing closer to God, not farther from God. And so the question is not why, but the question in your temptation is how. Okay, what do I do in response to this temptation to draw closer to God? If I can't avoid it, if I can't avoid temptation, and it's going to be part of my life, and I'm going to have it from time to time, how can I use it if I want to put God on the throne? How can I use it to draw closer to Him? How can I respond? See, see, I think the answer is in the response, and the response is to affirm God's authority. Temptation is an opportunity to affirm God's authority in your life. So obedience in the midst of temptation draws us closer to God. So when you're tempted, the question becomes, what do I need to do? Not just how do I wrestle with this temptation, but what could I do in this circumstance to show my allegiance to God, to to, to respond to Him, to place Him on the throne, how can I be obedient? Let's let's kind of work through an example. And you're at a restaurant, okay? Which many of you will be at a restaurant probably at some point today. And the service isn't great, right? Anybody ever have that happen to them? Okay, Josh has. The service isn't great. And all of us, and folks, this isn't the unpardonable sin, and all of us have been guilty of this, but sometimes we justify this as, well, they need to know. But the temptation is to lash out, to be rude, Once again, has anybody ever done that? I have. Shame on me. But the temptation is to lash out, to accuse, to get angry, to put ourselves on the throne. So think with me. What what would be a response that would draw us closer to God? What if instead of responding by lashing out and placing ourselves on the throne, we said, God, I'm going to place you on the throne and I'm going to show mercy and grace and kindness even though the service has been bad? What would happen? Folks, I, I think what would happen is in the midst of that circumstance where you're being tempted, I think in the midst of that circumstance, God could use that temptation to draw you closer to Him. And can I, can I be honest enough to say, if bad service at a restaurant draws me closer to God, give me bad service at a restaurant. Amen? Because what matters is drawing closer to God. You know, worship is um, a word we use often. We, we talk about worship, you know, Sunday morning worship, and, you know, we sing worship songs, and, and you know, but, but worship is a word, 
And, and there's many words that are translated worship in, in the um, Old Testament, particularly, and even in the New Testament. There are many words that they, you know, Greek and Hebrew words that become worship. But, but all these words kind of center around the same kind of ideal. They're, they're words that relate to holding someone in high esteem. They're words relating to serving. They're words related to bowing down in worship. They're words related to obedience. All of these are words that when the Bible translates them, it comes out worship. And so worship isn't about singing a few songs. I love singing worship songs, and, and there's a reason we do it. I, you know, that, don't mishear me. But worship is more than a song. And, and honestly, if worship is only a song in my life, then the worship as a song will not be very effective. Right? You can't work yourself up to worship in one song. Worship is a lifestyle. It's, it's a way of living in obedience to God. And so the Bible gives us the opportunity to live our whole life as a worship song giving praise to God through obedience. So if worship is obedience, then resistance to temptation is worship. Resistance to temptation is to affirm that God is on the throne. Resisting temptation is obedience and it's worship. And so your temptations this week are an opportunity to worship God. Does that make any sense to anybody? <laughs> the t- I, and what I'm suggesting is maybe we need to see these in a different way. That it's just an opportunity to sing praise to God by our obedience. What's your favorite worship song? Yeah, your favorite worship song. So lie. Because he lives. Oceans. You know, all these are great songs, and I love them, but, but Amazing Grace, or So Will I, or Because He Lives, or How Great Thou Art, are probably not the greatest worship songs ever written. Sorry. You know what the greatest worship song ever written was? It's Jesus in the garden saying, Not my will, but thine. That is worship. And folks, you don't have to play an instrument. <laughs> you don't have to hold a tune. Who in here says, I cannot hold a tune? I, I cannot hold a tune. I, I hope nobody hears me singing, and Amy's not in here, but I'm going to make a confession. Every once in a while, Amy, I do this. Because <laughs> I can't find my note. I figure God sees my lips moving. He knows I really want to. You may not be able to sing a note. You may not be able to play an instrument. But you can sing songs to God that are pleasing through obedience. As you're tempted this week, here's the question to ask. How can I say yes to God in this time of temptation? How do I turn my temptation into worship? (laughs) How do I worship him? And what seems like something that's tearing me down, how can I allow God to use this to build 
my faith in him. <laughs> yeah, you know, Amy, you, you sang this song uh, for the cross. I think it was for the cross. And, and the phrase that uses it, it talks about Jesus as king, but then it also talks about Jesus as friend. And it just hit me that this king is my friend. <laughs> He's your friend. And, and folks, that, we, we hear that so, you know, what a friend we have in Jesus. We've sang that and we hear that. And, and, and have you ever thought how profoundly different that changes the relationship you have with him? You know, I, I think about a friend and, a, and, you know, a friend typically is somebody that's walked through life with you a little bit. That they know a little bit about you. They, they um, empathize with you. Most of us don't have friends, and if you do get some new friends, you don't have friends that judge you and put you down and make fun of you. Most of the people that we consider our friends love us and walk through life with us and support us and encourage us. Jesus is that kind of friend. Jesus is this kind of friend that's walked this life and he understands and when you're tempted he doesn't look down at you and say look at that crazy fool being tempted again he looks to his father and says you know I dealt with that that's hard when people mistreat you when people misunderstand you when, when you're not feeling good when maybe you're a little tired maybe a little hungry when somebody entices you, when somebody tries to trick you, when somebody tries to lie to you, when somebody puts you down, I've been through all those things. And as a friend, can I tell you, it's not easy. You have a friend. You have an advocate that stands in the heavenly places and makes intercession on your behalf. And when you don't even know what to pray, the Scripture says the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us in words too deep for us to even understand. <laughs> That's a pretty good faith to live in, isn't it?